Man, do I love that song. It's a third day song. Uh, Roy, you nailed it. It's a uh, story of Peter. Uh, we're going to be looking at Peter's life and uh, it's an incredible life indeed. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the gospel of John, John chapter 21. If you don't have your Bibles, no worries. In your bulletin, you'll find the text printed for you. And we're in this Easter season, this season after celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're looking at the implications What are the implications that that tomb was empty? The implications for the world or the implications for our life personally? Uh, It's incredible because really all things will change. Uh, Last week, we looked at the fact that the Roman cross was supposed to be the end of Jesus's story. It was supposed to be that, that Moab, right? The mother of all bombs to kind of end this thought that he might be the Messiah. But it was the cross and it was the resurrection that really, it proved to be the story. The story was that one would come to die for us and one would come to life that because he lives, we can live too. And so we're looking at the implications of what the resurrection means to us. And what I love about this is that all around Jesus are those who doubted, even as close to him as Thomas. I'm not going to believe until I see and touch him. There's also around him, just not doubters, but deniers like Peter we're going to look at. So I don't know where you are in life. I don't know where you've been, but... Here's all I know is that God welcomes you and he's really glad you're here. And if you're on the spectrum of doubting and denying or incredibly believing, that's where we all find ourselves. Hey, have you, have you experienced the power of a campfire? How many people can say, I know the power of a campfire that somehow my life has been changed incredibly significant uh, through a campfire experience. It seems like something about it, maybe gathering around it, uh, the sight of a, fl- a fire, uh, the sound of a crackling fire, even, even the smell. Can you smell it even now? Maybe a, a good campfire. Well, a campfire has a tendency to ignite something inside all of us and so kind of maybe just let something open up and we see life differently. Well, the resurrected Jesus is going to use a charcoal fire to d- do more than just cook breakfast. This morning, we're going to find him on the, uh, the shores of Galilee. We're going to find the resurrected Jesus there. And, and by the way, the times I've been to, to Israel and the times I've been to the Sea of Galilee, it's the spot where they think that this story took place, where Jesus was going to recommission and re-love Peter. I mean, some of the most sacred ground I've ever been on. It's, a, it's so emotional. It's incredible to know that Jesus walked here and here's a part of that story. But Jesus is going to use that campfire. He's going to use that, actually says, charcoal fire to, to reignite, to rekindle something deep inside his disciples, especially Peter. Uh, Peter, man, oh man, I, I love Peter. Peter's, uh, Peter's the one in scripture that's always listed first. Uh, I'm so glad my name has Peter in it, Jeffrey Peter Jakes, because I, I relate to this guy. He's usually the first guy to talk and the last guy to think. He's usually the first guy to jump in and the first guy to sink. He's the guy that tastes shoe leather more than anybody else. I I get Peter and yet God's going to use, Jesus is going to use this little campfire experience to rekindle, rekindle Peter. He's going to do three things. Jesus is going to rekindle the story. He's going to rekindle the story of the disciples and and to us, uh, a story in many ways that they thought had died on a cross, but he's going to do more. He's going to rekindle of the relationship. 
And who's he rekindling the relationship with? Well, don't forget, these were his disciples. They, they traveled with him for three years. And how did they do at the critical moment? They ran. They denied. They betrayed. I mean, these are the ones that, that when Jesus needed them most were out the back door. He's going to rekindle that relationship. But Jesus is going to do more than just rekindle the story and the relationship. He's going to rekindle the calling. Incredible. He's, he's, he's not going to choose like 12 new guys. He's not going to try to replace these guys. These are his guys. He knew the truth about them. They were frail. They were broken. They were needy. They were sinful. They were doubters. They were deniers. This is the group he's going to change the world with. And he's going to rekindle their calling. And what I know about this story, it's so beautiful. If, if Jesus can rekindle their story, if he can rekindle their relationship, if he can rekindle their calling, I know that he can rekindle mine too. And I know he can rekindle yours. So let's look at this incredible story that we, we find in the gospel of John, uh, John chapter 21. We're going to read verses one through 19. Now, if you've been around Orangewood, you know, I typically read scripture and pray. But this morning, I want to do it a little bit different. I'm going to start with prayer and then read scripture because this story is so incredible. There's a couple of times we're going to have to stop and hit pause. And let me give you a couple of details of what's happening around this story. So if I'm going to try to interpret God's word, I need to have God's prayer. I need to pray to him and ask him to come speak to a sinner like me. So let's start with prayer. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for your word because it points us to your son. And your son is a so amazingly beautiful and loving and gracious. And what is so clear is that, God, we need to hear his voice. We need to hear from you today. And God, would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me? God, would you rekindle our story? Would you rekindle our relationship with you? Would you rekindle our calling today? God, would you come and speak to us? Would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds to understand your word? Would you give us hearts to embrace your love and your truth? And God, would you give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your great name? Father God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel of your son, our savior, Jesus. Would you use those things to make us more like him? Would you use those things to, to kindle, rekindle a fire, or maybe for the first time, a fire in our hearts for you? We pray this in Christ's matchless name. Amen. Let's hear the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, which is also the Sea of Galilee. It could be called either. And he revealed himself this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Let's hit pause. Very interesting how they give the list. Simon again, always listen first. It's Simon and the name Peter he's given. Thomas, remember, he, well, he was called the twin. He'll be called the doubter the rest of the life. And Nathaniel, remember that fellow? He's from Canaan and Galilee. And the sons of Zebedee, well, they're sometimes called the sons of thunder. This is James and John. They don't even get first names here. And then, by the way, there's two other disciples. 
how would you like to be one of those two other disciples? Well, the thing that's interesting is John himself is one of the other disciples. And he's being kind of coy here. It's two other disciples. But let's see how John refers to himself in verse 7. He says this, the disciple whom Jesus loved. (laughs) John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And y'all want to say, well, wait a minute. Doesn't this fellow love all his disciples? Of course he does. And I just love the beauty of that description. So let's pick it back up in verse three. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going to go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet his disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Always from the shore, someone yells that stuff. They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. What do you think the conversation was like in that boat? Who's this knucklehead on the shore? He's telling we're fishermen. This is what we do for a living. Cast the net on the other side and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, there's our humble John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Hit pause. Who gets dressed to go swimming? (laughs) Who decides it's a good idea, let me put everything I got on and jump in and get a little bit more weight and maybe sink to the bottom? Well, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire. There's that fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. By the way, who just caught? So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. Theologians love to argue what 153 means. Why do we need to know that it was 153 fish? If someone said, well, it represents all the nations at the time. He was gathering in all the nations. He would, let me just say, I don't know. There's a lot of fish. There were 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Again, interestingly, we're going to see that this story goes full circle. The first time he called them, there was a huge catch too, but the net was torn. Why isn't it torn here? Well, let's keep going. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Again, let's stop. It's very interesting that Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears a few times to them. He appears behind closed doors. And they know it's him, but they're, I mean, they want to ask. Because a resurrected body looks different than our bodies. And it was even Jesus who would say, I'm the same one, Thomas. Look at my nail prints. Look at my side. Touch me, Thomas. I'm the same Jesus. And yet they want to ask, is this him? And yet they knew. We one day will have that resurrected body too. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so would the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus revealed, was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What does that mean? We'll come back to that. 
He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, well, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He then said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because it said it to him the third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you want. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. Now let's hit pause again. The Bible doesn't tell us, but tradition tells us that Peter would have his arms stretched out and be crucified. But out of love and respect for his savior, he wouldn't be crucified the same way. He'd be crucified upside down. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let's pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. If you want to follow along with me, you'll find in an outline uh, in your bulletin an outline to follow along. The first thing we're going to see is what Jesus is doing is he's, he's rekindling theirs and our story. This is deja vu all over again. Do you know, I don't love that phrase. By the way, I think Yogi Berra, who played uh, for uh, the New York Yankees, a famous catcher for the New York Yankees, came up with deja vu all over again. He comes up with some great things. He says, hey, no one ever goes to that establishment anymore. It's way too crowded. Uh, He's the one who says it's not over till it's over. But this story is really, it's deja vu all over again. You see, what Jesus is doing is he's turning this story full circle. It was there on the shores of Galilee, after a night of futile fishing, that Peter and his disciples, who weren't able to catch anything, were called by Jesus, who would say, hey, why don't you guys try to cast out your nets on the other side? And it was that night of futility that turned into this biggest catch ever. And there, if they had the biggest catch ever, he would commission them to say, now I want you to leave your nets and follow me. It's an incredible story is that at that moment, it says that Peter began to recognize who Jesus was. And when we recognize the holiness of Jesus and who he is, we recognize who we are. And it was there that first calling that Peter would recognize his sin. And he would say to Jesus, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. But instead of departing, Jesus would say, I'm going to pull you close. I'm going to pull you to myself. And here again, here again on the shores of Galilee. Here again, after a futile night and then a huge catch, here again, Peter is confronted with his sin. And the sin he had was the sin of denying Jesus. Not just once, not twice, but three times. And it's here again on the shores after that futile night, he's going to commission him again and say, listen, I want you to be fishers of men. This is deja vu all over again. And the beautiful thing is we see that Jesus is rekindling their story. And what he's telling us is this, is the gospel of Jesus Christ is really the power of God to rekindle all of our stories. 
Peter's horrific denial, his failure doesn't qualify him from God's story. You know what that tells you and me? Our horrific denial, our failure doesn't qualify, disqualify us from God's story either. The amazing grace of God. And I love the setting. I love how he chooses that same setting to rekindle that story. You know, he can't rekindle the story until he rekindles a relationship. And there was a relationship that needed to be mended. So that's the second thing we see is rekindling our relationship. For me personally, so much of my life was, was shaped by around a campfire. It was shaped uh, there on one of the Finger Lakes in upstate New York on Owasco Lake. Our folks had a very humble cottage. We bought it when I was four years old. And it was there that not only we cooked marshmallows and s'mores, it was there that we would sing songs. It was there that we would share stories. It was there, like, like many, many of you, sometimes you can point to a, a campfire experience that, that shaped your life. It was certainly there for me. One of the most poignant times was actually when I was a bit older, I'd graduated from college and I began to work at the phone company. I was a third generation Jake's at the phone company. And I sat there with my dad and I, I remembered starting as a, as a career in the same career he was in and grandpa was in. And I knew how different I was than my dad. He had so many gifts I didn't have and so many things I admired. And I was so different. I remember, I remember my father looking me in the eye and says, listen, you need to be you. Don't try to be me. You got to be you. And it was just a a gift that that shaped my life. It's interesting how many of our life's moments can be shaped around that. But what I find incredibly interesting about this text is the prominence of this charcoal fire. It's a charcoal fire. It says that that's what Jesus was sitting at cooking his breakfast. Do you know the last time scripture mentioned a charcoal fire? It was in John chapter 18, verse 18. And guess who was at that charcoal fire? Peter. And let me tell you what Peter was doing at that charcoal fire. It was at Caiaphas' house, and Jesus was being arrested, and he was surely to be crucified. And Peter found himself at a charcoal fire trying to get warm, and the people started saying, wait a minute, we we recognize you. Aren't you with that Jesus fellow? No, 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 I, I don't know him. And someone would ask him, no, wait a minute, your accent, you're a Galilean, man. You, you, you're definitely with one of these guys. You know Jesus. Oh, no, I swear I don't know. A little servant girl would ask him, I mean, you clearly have been with Jesus. You're one of his followers. And Peter, Peter would say he would cuss down curses. I swear to God, I don't even know. You think a charcoal fire has an indelible mark in Peter's life? Do you think the smell of a fire reminds him of some of the deepest, darkest pain that he ever has experienced? And it's right there at a charcoal fire that Jesus is going to recommission him. It's right there where Jesus is going to kind of put right in his face. This is a deja vu all over again. But let me just confront you here. It's right there at that charcoal fire. Jesus is going to ask him not once, not twice, but three times. Do you love me? Why do you think he asked him three times? I bet you know the answer. I saw your hand. You want to answer, don't you? You know. Why do you ask him three times, Noah? Because he denied him three times. That's exactly right. So three times, he's going to ask him, do you love me? Now, let me me hit pause here and say, I love the fact before he says anything about what he's to do, what anything about calling, about anything about his life, 
about anything about his ministry, God always starts with relationships. That's primary. And he's going to start off that love must precede all that we do in calling. Let's look a little bit deeper at this, this love that Jesus would have for us and that we would have for him. What's absolutely amazing and startling about this is that Jesus is the one who's going to rekindle the love between them. And it's Jesus, it was Jesus alone who, who was able to take anything that separates us from a holy God and so much of our sin and brokenness separate us from a loving God. Jesus took all of that and he dealt with it. He took the blame for Peter's denial. He took the shame on the cross. Everything that would separate holy God, Father, Son, and Spirit from a man like Peter was dealt with on a cross in an empty tomb. And now he comes to him and says, listen, I love you. I want you to love me. And anything that separated us, I'm going to rekindle this, I have taken care of. Peter failed. But Peter wasn't disqualified from God's love. Isn't that good news? And I love the fact that it's Jesus who initiates with Peter. I mean, it could be Peter who could rightly go up to Jesus and says, Jesus, do you love me? I mean, Jesus, could you love me? John would write an epistle, the gospel of John here. He would write an epistle in 1 John 4, 4, 4, 19. He would say, we love God because he first loved us. May we never forget the initiating love of God that runs to sinners like you and me and offers us an incredible love affair because of what Christ has done. But also, it's not, not just the initiation of this love. What amazes me that rekindling this relationship with, G, with Jesus, Peter doesn't bring anything to the equation. In this story, there's a huge catch of fish, 153 apparently. But when you meet Jesus on the shore cooking breakfast, guess what? He already has fish and he already has bread. What does he need from Peter? Nothing. Theologians have a term. It's called the aseity of God, A-S-E-I-T-Y, the aseity of God. And what the aseity of God means is this, is that God is completely self-sufficient. God needs nothing in and of himself. Our triune God is complete in himself. This is, why is this important? I mean, what are you telling us this, Jeff? Because this is what's amazing about God. God is completely self-sufficient in and of himself, and yet he chooses to love us. We bring nothing but sin and brokenness to the equation, yet he chooses to move toward us. It's not like our little broken, pathetic lives sometimes, like, can you please love me? Can you please love me so I can love myself? Will you please love me? God is not in heaven wringing his hands, hoping that, that, that we're going to care for him. Instead, he initiates with us and he loves us. You see, this is true, pure love. If you could ever love somebody and need nothing from them, that is heavenly agape love. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's, he's bringing back to life, rekindling a relationship where it's all about him. And I love the fact, this is what Jesus does. And by the way, bring me some of those fish you caught. We're going to use those too. Here's the point. He chooses to love and use us, but doesn't need to. And that makes his love even more amazing. And he says to you and me, just come as you are. Come as you are. Listen, I know you're a mess. I know your story. But come and let me love you. And by the way, bring those little fish that I, who caught the fish, by the way? Isn't it nice that you guys caught? I mean, can you picture a dad who catches a fish as a little kid's hands on the fishing pole? And look at the fish that Johnny caught. 
Really, they caught nothing all night. They're so futile without Jesus. They can't do anything. But he says, I'm going to use it. He loves us and he needs nothing from us. That's incredible love. But not only do we see him rekindling that love, we also see the primacy of the love for us. Jesus will ask Peter the question in verse 15. Peter, do you love me more than these? What are the these? What is he talking about? Don't you love the fact that scripture doesn't tell us? Because we don't know. I mean, is he pointing to the fish saying, Peter, do you love me more than 153 fish? I sure hope so. Is he saying, do you love me more than these other disciples? Is your passe more important than me? Is he, is he saying, do you love me as a, do you love being a fisherman more than a fisher of men? Do you love me more than these? I can tell you what he's saying is, do you love me more than anything else? I mean, are you seeking me first? Is there a rival in your life? He's a jealous God who loves us and pursues after us. He says we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and love him. How about with you and me? What are our these? Do you love him more than these? See, this is the great commandment. The great commandment that Jesus would, would give to his disciples and to us is revealed in God's word. And so you probably heard it if you've been around Christianity. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You see, our God is a whole lot more about relationship than he's about religion. He's a whole lot more. It begins and ends with love. But love is first and foremost in God's eyes. And, and listen, we can't love God until he first loves us. Until you realize the depth of love that God loved you before time. God loved you even on your worst day enough to send Jesus. God will never stop loving you until you've experienced that kind of love. The love of God that transforms us. You are not going to be able to respond back in love. And so what he requires of us, he provides for us. He loves us in such an incredible way. And now he says, because I've loved you that way, love me with everything you got. But you know what he says more? And also, by the way, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, you will never be able to love yourself until you know the way God loves you. It's not in you. The only way you'll be able to love yourself the way God wants you to be loved is to know yourself, to know that you're a broken sinner, deserving God's wrath, but been giving nothing but God's grace and love in the work of his son. To be transformed by that love. To realize, yes, I am a broken sinner. I am needy. I'm a prone to wander. But man, I am his. I'm a delight of the Father. He set his pleasure upon me in Christ Jesus. And he will never let me go. I am loved. And then when you know that kind of love, you can love yourself. And the only time you can love yourself that way is to know that. And the only way you can love your neighbor is to love yourself. You see, it's all this, this incredible relationship he has for us. You can't love another until you've been loved by God, including yourself. And now we respond. You see, it's this love, what scripture will say in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, that the love of Christ should compel us. The reason we do things is because we're so loved. And I love it. It's not so, listen, you should work really hard to earn God's love. That's not it. Or you should do all these things so God might approve of you. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, I love you and you are complete and good enough in Christ Jesus. Now, because of the reality of whose you are in Christ Jesus, now go. But as you go, don't go in fear and don't go to try to earn this and prove this. Go because I love you and you love me. And may the love of Christ compel you. Relationship always precedes calling. I love it. You know, 
Peter's going to get three commands. They're very similar. Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. He's going to get three commands. Commands are going to come after, do you love me? They don't come before. Relationship will precede that. Grace of the gospel precedes it. You see, the gospel is the power of God in Christ Jesus to rekindle our relationship and love for Jesus. Peter's horrific denial and failure doesn't disqualify him from God's love. And he doesn't disqualify you either. And lastly, rekindling our calling. Called to be fishers of men. That call in Peter's eyes seemed to die on a Roman cross. Where do we find Peter? I love this. What do we find Peter doing? Peter's going back to fish, be a fisher of fish. He's going back to do that which he knows. And that's what God's calling him away from. You see, that's what the disciples are going. They're going back into the familiar. They're going back in their own lifestyles. They, they feel that they've been disqualified. They, they, they feel like they're not any longer worthy. Let's just go fish. C.S. Lewis and the weight of glory. It's one of my favorite little passages of that. Uh, actually, a sermon became a book. But he talks about all of us and that there's something inside of us as we're made in God's image. That all, of us, all of us long for a scent of a flower we've yet to smell. And all of us long for an echo of a tune we've yet to hear. And all of us long for news of a land we've yet to visit. And, and the crazy thing is nostalgia, those campfire experiences are so powerful that sometimes we think they're behind us. And sometimes we think of the golden years of, of the different time gone by, that, that life was better back then and my joy was found back then. But it's not because God has called us in relationship with him and it's always calling us forward to see him face to face. So what was Peter doing? He was, he was looking for the scent of a flower he hadn't smelled yet. He thought, well, maybe it's back in fishing. Maybe I can smell it with those fish. I want, I want to hear the echo of a tune. Maybe the tune I want to hear is the waves upon my boat. You know, I, I want to have news of a land that maybe my boat will take me to. I'm going to go back to the familiar. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. I'm going to call you back to myself. I'm going to rekindle the story. I'm going to rekindle the relationship. I'm going to rekindle the calling. Peter, follow me. Full circle. That's how it started. Follow me. But how did it start with Peter? It started, follow me by sight. Follow me literally as I walk around this, this land and do some pretty miraculous stuff. Follow me and we're going to hang out together. But this is a completely different follow me. This is a follow me. And let me tell you something. You're going to have to follow me by faith. You're going to have to follow me by, by, not by sight. Follow me. And by the way, it's going to cost you everything. When you were young, you could go and dress yourself and do what you want to do. But days are coming, man. It's, it's a different day. But follow me. Follow me and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. The restoration of that calling. And God's going to say, man, you, you guys, <laughs> Peter, you denied me. You denied me to a little girl at a campfire. I mean, you, you made a mess of it, Peter. A mess of it. And you are the rock that I'm going to change the world through with the gospel. Peter, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the ends of the earth will never be the same because you will be a fisher of men and you're going to go and tell good news and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and the world will change and the kingdom will come and your calling isn't for fish. You stink at it now. You work all night and you catch nothing. But I'm going to give you a catch that you'll never dream of. Come and catch men. He rekindled their calling and the calling was to live for him and die for him. 
to die to self. How is it with you? Do you love Jesus? If he drove next to you, if he gave you that campfire experience and there he was cooking breakfast, how would you respond? Do you love me? How would you respond? Do you love me more than these? What are the leaves that he'd lay out in front of him and say, do you, do you love me more than these? And the only way you can answer yes, if you know the depth of love that he has for us. And then he says, follow me. I know your story, he says. I know you're prone to wander. I know your brokenness, but follow me. Follow me and, and let me show you what I can do for one who's in love with me and follows hard after me for his glory. Let us pray. Father God, what an incredible story of your son. Uh, Lord, I'm so grateful that your word has given us this story. It seems like John was going to end his gospel last chapter. He kind of kind of wound things up. And then he says, oh, by the way, I got to make sure that people know the story of Peter and this incredible rekindling of the story, the rekindling of the relationship and of the calling. God, thank you so much because it gives me so much hope and may it give all of us so much hope that Jesus, you come to us knowing the truth about us and you move in love toward us and you offer us such good news of the gospel to come and to rekindle the story, to come and rekindle a relationship and to choose to use us to tell the world of this good news. And God, I don't know where the folks are, where their hearts are. For some, there's probably cold hearts that need to be rekindled. For some, it might be the first time fire that needs to be set. But God, I pray that what's really clear is not religion, but relationship. That, that you're not calling any of us to do anything. First and foremost, you're calling us to come to you. Come to you and to realize who you are and what you have done for us. That a resurrected Savior named Jesus means that he took our blame and he took our shame so that we could be forever loved and forgiven by you. God, would you start that fire in a heart that doesn't have it? Would you rekindle the fire in the heart that is growing cold? And for all of us, God, may we hear an incredible call to follow you, to follow you and your word being led by your spirit and know that at the end of following you, that one day we're gonna see you face to face. Thanks for the joy, the joy of your story and living it. Thank you for choosing to use our lives. Thank you for blessing us the way you have in Christ Jesus. And oh God, rekindle the fire. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.